Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. We're ready for a brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos. And this week, it's going to be wild. Dinosaurs, dragons, giants, and angels will be on this week's programs. And for good measure, part two of our look into the truth behind the Declaration of Independence with Von Chancer. We're almost at the 90-day mark of our Meeting the Mission dollar-for-dollar match. We're asking you to help us meet the $1 million goal. So many people from all over North America have responded. Your gift is being doubled right now. You can have an eternal impact with your financial support. Would you please give today? 1-800-652-1144. That's the number to call. Or you can give at our website, supportswrc.com. That's supportswrc.com. Thank you for helping us meet the mission of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Today, staff evangelist Josh Davis is here to discuss dinosaurs, dragons, and the Bible with author and teacher Bodie Hodge. We are privileged to be joined by author Bodie Hodge. He's the author of a brand new book called Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. It's the intersection of science and scripture, and dinosaurs have such a central role in that place. Inside the book, author Bodie Hodge says this, The biblical understanding of dinosaurs has primarily escaped Christians the world over. Most of the time, Christians simply ignore this subject altogether. Meanwhile, the secular world is pumping out media and literature, technical articles, books, textbooks, TV shows, movies, cartoons, and an immense number of kids' books on dinosaurs that teach a view of dinosaurs that is blatantly unbiblical. Author Bodie Hodge, we are so grateful that you have joined us for this important discussion. Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall. Hey, it's great to be on the program. Can you explain a little bit about your background? Did you grow up in church? When did you gain an interest in scientific things? Well, you know, it's interesting. I did grow up in church. I got saved about the time I was nine years old, but I really didn't learn a whole lot <laughs> all the way up through my college years. You know, I mean, I went to Sunday schools and youth programs, and I knew some some basics about Christianity, but I really was no expert. When I was in college, though, you know, I really got challenged a lot, particularly uh, this secular worldview, this evolutionary atheistic worldview that was being imposed on me when I was in a science field. You see, I did bachelor's and master's degree in mechanical engineering. I ended up teaching at Southern Illinois University, and I also ended up taking a job at Caterpillar as a test engineer working with large pieces of construction equipment. I loved doing those jobs, but then I got called into ministry, and I wouldn't change it. I've had a love for science really since about my high school years, but one of the things that nobody had ever told me was when you go into these science fields, you're being taught science from a different religious perspective, from a secular, humanist, non-Christian viewpoint. It really influenced me. I mean, even in my younger years, I was influenced by that uh, in my state schools that I went to. What I needed to do was get back to the Bible and say, hey, let's start with the Bible. Let's let God be the absolute authority, and then let's look at these various science fields that include subjects such as dinosaurs. So in the book, you share that dinosaurs have almost become synonymous with evolutionism. How did this happen? 
This really started to take place in the 1800s. In the 1800s, we were digging up all these different bones of large reptilian creatures, and they gave them a name. They, they called them dinosaurs and made this new term called dinosauria. And what that means is terrifying or terrible lizard. Now, when that happened, these creatures were disconnected from creatures that were actually listed in the Bible. They were seen as some sort of new creature that died and lived millions and millions of years ago before man. And so all of a sudden, it's almost directly connected with an evolutionary worldview, the way people were putting it out, even back in the parts of the 1800s. By the 1900s, you know, that's just what was being taught over and over and over again in textbooks and so forth. And that's in stark contrast to the Bible. You know, when we start with the Bible, dinosaurs, by definition, are land animals. They have one of two hip structures as land reptiles that raise their body up off the ground. That's why crocodiles and Komodo dragons are not considered dinosaurs. They raise their body up off the ground. Now, they're land animals. What day were land animals created according to the scriptures? Day six of creation, same day as man. So they were living at the same time. You see, as soon as you start with the Bible, you start to look at these from an entirely different viewpoint. But you know what? The world, the secular world, that evolutionary world, has essentially hijacked these creatures, and a lot of Christians just didn't know what to do with it. Let's take a step back there. You just briefly touched on it. Can you define for us what is a dinosaur and what is not a dinosaur? Yeah, you know, that's a good question, because a lot of people have been confused at that. The definition of a dinosaur actually has to do with its hip structures. It is a reptilian creature, and it is a land creature. So any of the flying reptiles or the sea reptiles, by technical definition, they're actually not considered a dinosaur. Think of pteranodons or pterodactyls, or like a plesiosaur that goes in the ocean. Those creatures would not have been considered dinosaurs. I know in a layman's sense we sometimes lump them in with the dinosaurs, but they're really not. But something like a T-Rex or a Stegosaur or a Triceratops that have its legs under its body so that it raises its body up off the ground, that's the technical definition of a dinosaur. Now, there have been other factors that people have tried to throw in there, but that's the primary factor to define what a dinosaur is. And so let's go back to the worldview side of things, because that's such an important discussion. And so much of our world is just inundated with secularism and the philosophy of evolution has permeated all aspects of our educational institutions. I heard one author who became a Christian and believed in creation said he felt like he had been led down this primrose path, that he had been taught evolutionary theory and just accepted it as true because it was taught as true. And I know that you had a similar story to that. How did this evolutionary teaching challenge your own Christian faith as a young person? Well, you know, like I said, I got saved when I was about nine years old, and I really didn't know a whole lot. You know, by and large, my parents sent me off to school just thinking, well, the school's neutral. They're not going to be teaching anything that goes against the Bible. Little did they know I was being taught an entirely different worldview from start to finish, whether it was biology class, history class, earth science. I remember when I was a kid, I actually bought this book. You know, you remember those old scholastic clubs? You could you could buy a book for like 35 cents. Yes. Well, I remember doing that. And I still have that book. It's sitting right in front of me here. It's called Last of the Dinosaurs. It was written by uh, David Eldridge. You know, it doesn't have that many pages. You know, it's a kid's book, maybe 32 pages or so. Very first line of the book, millions of years ago. And all throughout this book, it's talking millions of years ago. Dinosaurs lived and died millions of years before man. 
And I'll tell you what, I was heavily influenced by this book. To me, this book was the gospel truth about dinosaurs. At the same time, my parents really didn't talk to me much about dinosaurs. When I went to church, we never talked about dinosaurs. I mean, granted, you're not at church a whole lot. Even though I was there all the time, it felt like I was there all the time. It's still only two or three hours a week. They don't have a whole lot of time to teach you about every single subject. Now, I'd like to see churches teach a little bit more about dinosaurs just to kind of correct the secular thinking that has been dominating kids of the next generation. There was a book written several years ago called Already Gone, which talks about a lot of church statistics. And one of the things that was found, this was Britt Beamer and Ken Ham, they found that about 90% of kids in church homes attend state schools. So they were probably like me, being taught the secular view of dinosaurs in book after book, class after class. And what we really need to do then is get back and say, hey, let's analyze this from a biblical viewpoint. I agree with you because I've worked with young people in various settings, in public school ministry, in youth groups, and on and on and on, kids ministry and those kinds of things. But one thing that I've seen is this area of science is rarely challenged. I know there are some great Christian teachers in the public schools who are teaching fields of biology, different things like that, and they'll tell their students, now, this isn't my personal opinion, but I've got to teach it to you because it's in the curriculum. And then they go on with the evolutionary theory. And I've had some other high school students who had some very strong evolutionary teachers, and they would try to take a stand in their classroom, and they were bullied. And so I tried to teach them in the church what I could. But as you said, there's only so much time that the church has with those young people. As you were wrestling with these things, how did you see the church respond to all the popular evolutionary teaching about dinosaurs? Well, one of the things that I've seen, I've seen this in a lot of different churches, so many of the people that are teaching in the churches had already bought into some of the world's ideas. Maybe not necessarily evolution, that we evolved from ape-like creatures, but maybe they bought into something like geological evolution, that is the millions of years of rock layers. Or they bought into cosmological evolution like the Big Bang, and they want to suggest, oh, well, maybe God used the Big Bang or things like that. But once again, they're still compromising. They're being influenced by the world. They're accepting part of the world's origins account, and they're neglecting what the Bible says. I've seen that. Now, I have seen some churches say, hey, let's get back to the Bible. Let's look at everything in light of Scripture. God created things in six days. That's not a problem for an all-powerful God. It was a perfect creation. That's what we expected. There was the fall into sin, which is why we need a Savior in the first place to save us from sin and death. And it's why we need a new heavens and a new earth. This one's cursed and broken. There was a global flood. That's what accounts for the vast majority of those rock layers that have fossils. And that's where the dinosaurs are. They're, they're in those rock layers that are from the flood of Noah's day. So they're looking at it from an entirely different perspective. I want to encourage churches to do that. Use the Bible to look at everything, whether it's history, biology, science, relationships with other people. I want people to use the Bible as that authority. There's also one other group of churches and Christian leaders that I've seen. These are the ones that don't even touch the subject. And that's almost frightening. They don't talk about it. They don't mention it. It's just as if it's something on a back burner that they just don't even want to deal with. And the problem with that type of an approach is the kids are actively being taught the secular worldview. They're being taught when they walk through a grocery shop or read the back of a cereal box or when they go to a movie or they watch something on TV, Dinosaur Train or Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. They're being trained on it, and yet there's nothing to counter it. So they're just being led 
by the world. Yes, and so much of the church, and I hear these statistics all the time, that the Christian worldview continues to decline in America, the percentage of people who have a biblical worldview. And we lament that, but so often we're guilty of not really stepping into these moments. They're being inundated by media, by the education system, by all these different influences in their young people's lives, and yet the church laments it but doesn't do anything about it. We're visiting with author Bodie Hodge about his brand-new book, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. Brother Hodge serves the Lord with Answers in Genesis ministry. You can reach out to our ministry as well by calling us at 1-800-652-1144 or visit us online at swrc.com. Why should we as the church care what people believe about dinosaurs? Well, I think one of the main reasons is when we understand dinosaurs from a biblical viewpoint, it really helps the Bible come to life. A lot of people who come to church, you know, they they may have grown up in church, they might be new to the church, they may be new to Christian teaching, they just don't don't fully grasp everything that's going on in the Bible. And I don't expect people to have the Bible memorized or, or, or know it inside and out. But, you know, when they step back and they use the Bible and they go, wow, the Bible makes sense of dinosaurs. Here's when they were created. Here's they were originally vegetarian because all the animals were originally vegetarian. We expect that from a God of life. It was a world full of life, not a world full of death. And then because of the fall, now we see all this death and suffering. Some of these uh, representative dinosaurs were on the ark. They came off the ark. They spread around the world, and they've been dying out for the same reasons everything else is dying out for. When they realize, whoa, the Bible makes sense of this, oh, wow, the Bible can be trusted. The Bible can be trusted on dinosaurs. Well, it can be trusted on everything else, too. You see, the Bible comes alive. It becomes exciting for them. And guess what? The message of the gospel found in that same Bible, based on that same history, is also true. You see, when Christians understand, hey, you can use dinosaurs as a witnessing tool to people out in the secular world, it becomes powerful. It does, because if we equivocate on science, then that really undercuts our gospel witness as well, does it not? Yeah, it really does. It's great when we can use different things. You know, sometimes there are people out there that are suffering in the world, and they don't know why they're suffering. Sometimes they ask that question, why didn't God make the world perfect? You know, well, he did. It's because a man sinned the world like this. You see, we can use suffering to then point to Jesus Christ, who conquered death and suffering, and we look forward to a time when there'll be no more death or suffering. Same way you can use dinosaurs, you can use flood, you can use geology, you can use a host of different subjects. But once people start realizing how they can do that, wow, it really does help their witness out. So how can the Bible be used as a framework for a look at dinosaurs? I like to just step back, use the Bible from beginning to end, and put certain milestones throughout there. That just helps me think about everything chronologically. Here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, we have what we call the seven C's of history. I actually have the 12 C's of history. You know, once I got those seven, I'm like, let's add a few more. But these are just milestones. They all start with the letter C. Creation is at the beginning. God creates everything six days, rests on the seventh. That's the basis for our work week, by the way, with God resting. And then later on, we end up with the Lord's Day. That's the basis for a weekend. Those are actually Christian holidays every week. And then we have the corruption, when the world went from a perfect state to an imperfect and broken state. And then we have the catastrophe, that is the flood of Noah's day, the confusion at the Tower of Babel. I have the call of Abraham. I have the uh, 
commandment with Moses, then the crown when the Israelites asked for a king, and then we have the captivity, and then we have the church. And we also have Christ, cross, and consummation. Consummation is the end. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. So those are just simple milestones. And when I look at dinosaurs, I try to think in terms of, okay, when were they created? What do we know about them when they were created? When did they start eating meat? Were they on the ark? What was happening to the ones that were not on the ark? These were the ones being buried and turned into fossils. At the confusion, mankind starts to go to different parts of the world. The animals had already been spreading out before that. So people are going to interact with these types of creatures and so forth. So you can see how I can use those different milestones throughout Scripture to look at dinosaurs. In fact, you can use that to look at theology and history and host of other subjects as well. We're visiting with author and speaker at Answers in Genesis, Bodie Hodge, and he's written a brand new book called Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. We encourage you to join us on tomorrow's program as well. We still have another question or two for today, but tomorrow we're really going to get into a lot of specifics about dinosaurs. And so we encourage you to join us again for that program. But before we finish our time together today, let's ask one more philosophical kind of question. How can the church really take advantage of dinosaurs' popularity to correctly teach a biblical worldview to young people? Well, I'll tell you what, if a church just said, hey, we're going to run a little series here on dinosaurs, we're going to do it as a special event of an evening or do it in a particular youth program, and they advertise that in advance, you'd be surprised the number of people who are going to come. People are crying out, going, hey, I want to know what the Bible says about dinosaurs. They get really excited about this subject. People have been fascinated with uh, dinosaurs as adults. Kids are fascinated with dinosaurs. I'll tell you what, it is definitely a grabber. It'll pull people in because they're curious about it. They want to know about dinosaurs in the Bible. And so we touched on a lot of the dinosaurs. Can you briefly describe for us the difference between a dinosaur and a dragon? You know, that's a great question. You know, in the Bible, in the King James, for example, uh, one of the older translations here, the word dragon is used 22 times in the Old Testament. In the old Geneva Bible that the pilgrims brought over, it's in there 24 times in the Old Testament. And it's not one word, it's several different words that are translated as dragon. It's translated like that in hosts of different languages as well, older translations. Really what a dragon is, dragon is not quite the same thing as a dinosaur, Let me put it this way. I would say all dinosaurs could be called a dragon, but not all the dragons could be called a dinosaur. Here's why. The word dragon is more of an overarching term. It included flying reptiles and sea reptiles. It even included things like crocodiles or big serpentine snake-like creatures, but it also included the dinosaurs. Remember, dinosaurs, though, are a very specifically defined creature. They're land reptiles with one of two hip structures. So all the dinosaurs could rightly be called a dragon, but not all the dragons would fit that description of a dinosaur by its technical definition. We are so grateful that you joined us today, and we're looking forward to continuing this important discussion tomorrow. We have much more from Bodie Hodge coming up on our next program. Bodie Hodge's brand new book entitled Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible is a -a one-of-a-kind Christian apologetic resource sure to captivate families, scientists, historians, and theologians. Using the Bible as the absolute authority, Bodie Hodge provides answers to the most asked questions about these amazing creatures. Go beyond the Hollywood version of these magnificent creatures to discover the truth of these icons of creation and testaments of God's power in the Genesis Flood. 
Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible is available right now. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your copy of Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Pastor Larry Spargimino is ready to once again look at Scripture to answer a question that many, including you, need the answer to. What is progressive Christianity, and is it a valid expression of the Christian faith? I want to give my answer up front and then show why that is the answer I give. So what is progressive Christianity? Is it a valid expression of the Christian faith? Well, progressive Christianity is a subtle but very dangerous distortion of what the Bible teaches. It is not a valid expression of the Christian faith, and let's look a little more closely at progressive Christianity. First of all, progressive Christianity denies the sinfulness and inherent depravity of humanity. People are really not that bad. There are various steps to self-improvement that we can take. In other words, humanity can be improved by self-effort. We don't really need to be saved or regenerated. Now, of course, anybody who knows the Bible knows that that's nonsense and that's wrong. Secondly, biblical authority is missing from progressive Christianity. The Bible has a lot of nice stories and a lot of good principles for life and happiness. The book of Proverbs is loved by progressives, but doctrinal books like Romans and prophetic books like Revelation and Daniel are not really that important because they're kind of like myths and fairy tales, according to progressive Christianity. Romans is too doctrinal for progressives. Justification, sanctification, glorification, New Testament teaching on Israel, and the Abrahamic covenant are just not palatable to progressives. The reason why doctrine is not appreciated by progressives is because doctrine divides, according to progressives. There are those who believe Bible doctrine, and there are those who don't believe Bible doctrine. The study of doctrine divides Christians according to progressives. Of course, this is true. Doctrine is given for the purpose of dividing those who hold to the truth of the Word of God and those who don't hold to the truth of the Word of God. That's why doctrine is so important, and that's why there is so much false teaching today, because doctrine is being minimized. In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8, we read this, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, those are very strong words, and I agree 100% with the Apostle Paul. Yes, doctrine is important. Somebody who's preaching a false doctrine, that's very serious. That's very wrong. Thirdly, true worship is missing. Progressives would scream at me for saying this, but I stand by this statement. True worship is missing. If you don't believe in human depravity, hell, and eternal damnation, you can't really thank God for your salvation. You don't have it. Progressive Christianity does not understand what Christ has saved us from. Progressives believe Christ dying on the cross doesn't save us. The only thing that Jesus did on the cross, according to progressives, is to leave us with a good example of showing love to people. Now, of course, it's true that Jesus Christ is an example. 
but he is not just an example. He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He shed his precious blood that our sins might be paid for in full. Fourth, progressives do not believe that the Bible is an historical book with empirical facts in it. They don't even believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical fact, and yet they say the resurrection is important. What? Something that did not happen is an important item of belief? That's pretty hard to believe. What kind of insanity is that? It's like the insanity that believes that chromosomes don't matter, and gender is not fixed but depends on what you believe. If you are a boy and believe you are a girl, then you are a girl. You see, Satan has done a job on our thinking. We have now slipped into irrationality, and we say it matters. Fifth, progressives like to bypass large portions of the Word of God, and they like to focus on the Sermon on the Mount. They see the Sermon on the Mount as being the way to salvation. Live the Sermon on the Mount, and you are guaranteed a place in heaven. More nonsense. The Sermon on the Mount is not given us to show us how to be saved. No one can obey it perfectly. We are justified by faith, not by works. The Sermon on the Mount is God's standard for kingdom citizens. Progressive Christianity is one of Satan's tricks. It looks good, sounds good, and uses Christian terms. Those who are unsuspecting are sucked into a dangerous movement that does not have God's blessings upon it. Why? because it only appears to be built on the Word of God. In reality, it is built on the foolishness of men. I know we live in a politically correct world, and people like to be as non-offensive as possible. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we have to speak the truth in love, but that still means we have to speak the truth. Ephesians 4.15 is not only telling us what to speak, but how to speak it, and that is in love. 1 Peter 3.15 is similar. Be ready always to give an answer with every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we're never exhorted to speak the truth with a mean, bitter, condescending spirit, but we are exhorted to speak the truth and to do it with a sweet, meek, and gentle spirit. There are millions in churches today who judge truth by their experience, and that's one of the great issues, I think, that has been leading us astray. However, faith that is dependent and focused on an experience produces in us a constant need of something more objective if we're going to maintain spiritual momentum and spiritual growth in our lives. All experience is, by its very nature, transitory. An experience-centered faith results in confusion, insecurity, instability, and frequently great disappointment. So, let's base our faith on the Word of God, the only sure foundation for living in the modern world. Let's thank God for the Bible. Let's praise Him. Let's study it. Let's hide it in our hearts. Let's memorize it. Let's support churches where the Bible is preached. How did huge dinosaurs fit on the ark? Are dinosaurs and dragons the same thing? How do I use the Bible as the framework to look at dinosaurs? Get the answers to these and many, many more questions in Bodie Hodge's brand new book, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Dinosaurs are nearly synonymous with evolution in the minds of much of the world. 
Studying these answers will help Christian families, church leaders, scientists, and theologians develop greater faith in the infallibility of God's Word and His role as Creator. Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible by Bodie Hodge. Get your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. More Dinosaurs and Dragons with Bodie Hodge coming up on tomorrow's program. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.